Amen. While they're doing their business here, if you could take your uh, baskets and pass them back down for our tithes and our offerings, please. Um, Ryan does live on support, and so uh, one of the ways that he, um, one of the things God's opened the door for him is he he, um, recorded an album uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, and so he has it for sale over here. If after service you'd like to get that, just go straight towards um, their support, so be great. All right. Um, let's jump in this one. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for your presence with us. And uh, Lord, as we come to this moment, uh, Father, we declare that we want to hear from you. And that, God, we want you to do something new in our hearts. We want you to change us, God. We need you, Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, you know, we had a conversation about a perspective change. We said that uh, many of us in, in, in living our lives, that uh, we have all sorts of perspectives. And perspective is simply it's just a way that we view something, a way that we view life, right? We have perspectives about how to raise children, about how to do business. We have perspectives on uh, what the temperature should be in the room even today, right? We all have perspectives, a way that we see things and view things, right? We have a perspective on everything in life. And so we talked about this reality of us having perspectives and specifically looking at the fact that God has a perspective about, about life for us. When he looks at us and he looks at, at humanity, he has a perspective uh, on, on, on what we're capable of, on on what we're called to do. He has a perspective. He has a, a view. And so when, when we live our lives, the great tension and struggle we face many times is that our perspective is different than his. And so that when we look at life and look at our own lives and look at the perspective God has, the reality is his perspective is always perfect. And so in that, if we're having a different perspective than his, then probably he's not, he's not wrong Right, and so in that, that we probably want to switch to his perspective. We want to probably it might be good for us. You know, I'm saying probably as in we should. We should want to switch and have a perspective that's in agreement with God because his his is always perfect. His is always right. And so when we live life, a lot of times we we said last week we struggle in our perspective. That many times in life we're like Michael Orr. Remember from the Blind Side, we went through that whole scene last week. Probably went too long on it, right? But talking about Michael Orr, this big offensive lineman that that in the, from the movie The Blind Side, and we said that when he stepped onto the field, he was by far the most dominant person on the field. He was the, the biggest man on the field. And so that when he stepped in, he automatically had the innate reality of being able to dominate. But we said that in his perspective of what it, whether it was he was overwhelmed by fear or he was just undone by, by not knowing the offensive scheme, who really knows what was going on in that first series in the movie? But if you remember, he just got completely dominated. And he came off the field and everyone was frustrated and they're thinking, oh my God, here's a big guy who's a bust, right? He can't really do anything. But he, remember that scene we talked about where all of a sudden the, the coach fights for him. Remember, the, the coach stands up for him. The coach just gets in the face of the official on behalf of Michael Lohr, right? And remember that scene, all of a sudden his eyes just shifted. And you knew the music started, right? So, you know, we knew something good was about to happen. And all of a sudden, this guy who had this innate reality he was not aware of, right? He, had a, he was living in an in a improper perspective. All of a sudden, the light clicks, perspective shifts, 
The next, call the next play, and what does he do? He grabs the defender, yanks him 80 yards down the field, through the end zone, and throws him over the fence and says, it was just time for him to go home. Because he had a perspective shift, right? He, had the, he, the, he was the same person with the same innate reality in both of them, but he needed a perspective shift to be able to see things and basically who he really was. We said last week, this is God's heart for us, is that we live life so often and so many times over here paralyzed by fear. Right. We have a perspective of fear, a, a perspective of brokenness, a perspective that everything's going wrong in life. We we I call it living our lives with the half, you know, that, 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 that the cup half full mentality that everything's always about to break loose and go bad. Right. There's always this thing and you're always living in this place. And and God is saying to us, listen, I've called you with the perspective change to say you're victorious. I've called you. Right. I've called you to be victorious. And we named two perspective shifts that God needs to do in our hearts. The first was this, that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. For those of you who are in relationship with God, he said, God says in, in Galatians, listen, Follow you and baptized into Christ. You've also been clothed in Christ, right? And we said last week, that means this. You're on God's team, right? You have God's uniform on. You're on His team. And so when He literally physically sees you, for those of you who are in relationship with Him, He sees Jesus. And so if you live life over here in this perspective over here of God's always angry, God's always let down, I'm frustrated because life's terrible, my life's going to be miserable till the day that I die, uh, you're living life depressed every moment of your day, God looks and says, listen, when I see you, I see Christ, and I love Jesus. Have you ever thought about the love the Father has for the Son? It's perfect love. It's complete love. It's whole love. There's, there's nothing we could understand. We couldn't understand it. It's so deep and so rich. And he says, listen, when I see you, I see Jesus, which means that when he sees you, no matter where you are, what's going on in your life, you're now standing in a perspective of how God sees you, which is, I love you. Why? Because you look like my son. In fact, that's all I see. Second perspective shift we said is this. It's not our power, but God's power that enables us to defeat the work of the enemy in our life. Remember we read from Ephesians. We looked at Ephesians 6 and said, hey, listen, put on the full armor of God because the day of evil is coming. And when he comes, I want you to take your stand. I didn't say this last week, but this idea of taking a stand here in the Greek, it, it has in mind the, the, Roman, the Roman army. And the Roman army, what they would do is they would have their shoes, but their shoes had like cleats on them. And so, you remember, and you've seen all the movies, right? There's always that scene of like someone standing on the ground, the other army coming, rushing at them, right? And the idea is this, that you, you plant your cleats in, and for you golfers, you know, you do like this in the sand, right? Kind of this whole thing, and you choke up on it. And, okay, anyway, but that's what happens here, is what the army's doing. So they're, they're just digging in with either their spear, their sword, or their shield, so that when the enemy comes to attack, they have their feet planted. So that when that day comes, they will be able to take their stand. And after the enemy has come, according to Ephesians 6, you will be found standing. Why? Because it wasn't your power that enabled you and empowered you to stand your ground. It was the power of Jesus in you. We said from Ephesians chapter 1, it says, 
Paul prayed, I pray that you would be awakened, right? Be enlightened to the imperably great power that resides in you. In fact, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, you got to let stuff like that sink in, y'all. I mean, you gotta, you got to chew on that for a while. Because your perspective of life doesn't actually flesh that out very often, does it? But he's saying, listen, the day, listen, it's not if the enemy comes, a day of enemy, a, a difficult day, a difficult season comes. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. That's what Ephesians 6 says. Hey, when the day of evil comes, right? When this difficult season comes, I want you to take your stand and you've got a sword and you've got a, you got a shield, right? You've got both of them. You've got the shield of faith and the sword of the word. Take your stand. And when the enemy comes, you find yourself fighting Right? Doing your deal. And after, and after you stand this victory moment of allowing the Holy Spirit's power to flow through, you'll be victorious. And so what we said was this. The perspective shifts is, number one, God likes us, right? We're on His team. And number two, that His power is in us. And we, we live life every day never being awakened to that reality. But God is saying, we need to, like Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Why? Because they weren't there, and he knew it, and he said, the only way we're going to get there is if we pray. If I pray, and I pray, and I pray, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Because I recognize you're like Michael Lohr on the first series. And you're getting your butt whooped, you know what? The innate reality is already that you can pick him up and drive him down the field and throw him over the fence, but you're not walking in that. So, we need a perspective shift. So, what I want to do this morning is this. I want to look at, I want to look at Isaiah. We we'll look at the, the story of Isaiah from chapter 6, a really familiar a scripture to, to a lot of us. It's the calling of Isaiah, right? Calling of Isaiah. Go to the middle of the Bible and then go left, okay? Actually, go right, left. Which way is it? Right? Left. Yeah, go left. I don't have my Bible up here. So, go left, find it. Isaiah chapter 6. This is the calling of Isaiah. This is that moment of calling for him. It starts with this. It says, everybody got it. In the year that King Uzziah died, did that sink in? In the year that King Uzziah died. How many of you, how many of you remember when JFK died or heard stories? When, someone, when a president dies or a king dies, everybody goes, uh-oh. Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs or angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. 
He said, go and tell this people, and then he shared the message with them. So the starting point I want us to see is this. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, it's one of those, interesting, it's one of those things that's important here, that, that Isaiah, along with all the other Israelites, are living in a place where the king has died. They're, they are in a season, listen, they are in a season that has a perspective of death. They, there's, we see it a couple different times in here. It goes down in, 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 in verse 5. He says, woe to me, which literally means death. Death to me. It's as if I need to go ahead and die, right? This is too much for my physical body to, to handle, to see God. Oh, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man walking, right? There's a, a good a picture. Of, he's under the sentence of death. And then, even in verse 6, he, the, the seraph goes to the altar. The altar was a place of death. They would take animals there to be sacrificed. It says they took a, a burning coal from the altar, which means it's a, it's a living, it's an active altar that's, that sacrifices are being burnt upon. And so the seraph goes to this, this instrument of death, right, and comes and touches his lips. And the thing I want you to see is this. They're living in a time of death. They're living in a season, in a perspective of death. How many of you understand what it looks like to live in a perspective in a season of death that, or maybe in a place of life you've gone and like dealt that death is just palpable, right? It's in the air, whether it's in a hospital or in a nursing home, whatever it may be that you've, you've been there. Several years ago, I went to India and, and, and I flew, went to, went to Madurai, about a 15 hour train ride to the southern tip of India. And we met these two guys. I didn't know them. And, and uh, they were sent by a friend of a friend. The friend of a friend was a missionary. And he had these two guys that worked for him. They said, hey, we're here to be with you today. And we're going to take you around Madurai, India. We're going to show you India. I'm like, fantastic. And so he said, what we're going to do is we're going to take you to the places that we do ministry. I'm like, okay, this will be great. So first place uh, we went to, we went out to this um, village out in the middle of nowhere, right? Grass huts. We walk in. And all these Indians are walking. They go, like this, white people, right? Oh my gosh, never seen these people before, right? So we go in, go into their hut, we sit down and drink tea with them, and I go out and preach to the masses. There's like five. But anyway, I preach to them, right, and share the good news of Jesus with them, right? So we go from that place, then we go to a government hospital. Let me just say this, for those of you who want socialized health care, Go to India first, right? I mean, it is brutal, right? We go in, we, we see what's going on in India, and, and, and they take us to the best part. And the best part was a room about half this size, and it's lined with bed after bed after bed after bed after bed, with about this much space in between them. And around each of these beds is the, is the goods from their home because their entire family is camped out with them. Because nurses come by maybe once a day, and doctors come by maybe once a week to see them, right? And so they're just in this place. And so and we walk in, I'm like, okay. And he goes, I want you to go around and go pray for them. And I'm like, all right, I love praying for people. So I start going from bed to bed to bed. So I, I, I walk in the, like the doors over here, and I basically pray myself into a corner. Pray myself into a corner, praying and praying, right? And I turn around to do this to see what else is going on. And every single, this was like a children's hospital, every single parent, literally, every bed was now empty. And they had their children like this out in front of me, jockeying for position to get us to pray for them. I was undone. I was like, we just like, we just stayed there for hours and just prayed and prayed and prayed. It was great to see God move. And I don't know what he did in the moment. I couldn't speak the language, right? But you could sense the God God stirring in the moment. So it was a great time, great time. So anyway, we left that. We went to the next room and and it kind of progressively got worse until we went out the back door of the governmental hospital, right? We went out the back door and we came to this, this kind of big alleyway and there was a building over here. 
in a, in a big kind of, I don't know, patio over here, right? But there's a road like this. And so, so I looked at it, and there's all these dirt piles on this road. And I'm like, what is this road here? So we start walking, and I realized this ain't dirt, all right? This is human feces with, with uh, flies flying around. It's this nasty, gross. And so I'm like, and this is like, this is leading us to the next place that we're going, okay? And I'm thinking, this is not good. And so we keep on walking. This is gross and gross. And we get about 10 feet from the door. And I, l- I looked at the guy, and like, I realized we're going into this place. And I said, what is this? He goes, oh, this is a leper ward. This is a home for the, for the lepers in India, a house of leprosy. And I went, oh, crap. Sorry, that's what I said, right? I literally went, I did that. And I was like, ugh. And so he walks in. And I walk in and turn the corner. I said, what are we, we going to do? And he goes, and, and we walked into a room, and he went over to this guy who had like maybe two toes, a couple of, maybe a, maybe a finger, had, his nose was completely missing, and just from the skin disease of leprosy. And, and he goes over to him and stands next to him, and he points to me and motions over. And he goes, you pray for him. I'm like, no. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, I'm in this moment because I'm in a place of death. I mean, this is like, this is just, I mean, it feels gross. It smells gross. It's just, it's overwhelming. And so I come over and I like do the distant, like, Lord, just go through my hand from a distance to pray for him. Right? And I had this moment, but, but I finally put my hands on him and prayed. I prayed the most faithless prayer. I said, God, help me. And like, you know, just not him, right? And just in that moment, right? And so I'm, I'm undone. I'm overwhelmed. And so I pray for him. And then I, and I go to the next person the whole time. Listen, I, I mean, I'm just praying the entire time, God, you've got to come because death is present. You see, it was in that moment that I was, I was overwhelmed. I was undone. The, the palpable sense of death, it was just the stench of it was in the room. It was in the entire building. You see, for us in life, when we live in this perspective over here, we may not literally have like this physical death thing going on, but we are embracing and experiencing the fruit of the spirit of death in our life. Fear, worry, anxiety, all these things going on, right? We feel paralyzed in life. The cup is half empty. Everything, everything, there's this great tension at every turn, everywhere that we go, right? We're living in this place. We have no hope in life. Hopelessness is a fruit of the spirit of death. If that is present in your life on an everyday basis in some level, then the spirit of death is hovering. Listen, if you're finding yourself in, all the time getting upset and getting angry, being, I don't know, hurt by people all the time, it's like you just can't seem to, to get things right. There's a spirit of death hovering over you, trying to kill you and keep you bound in this perspective over here. And this is exactly where Isaiah is. He's living in this moment with a spirit of death in the air. The king has died. He died because of his sin. If you go back and read the story, right? And so the Israelites are over here and the Jews, and and they've embraced parts of his sin. And so they're over here in the spirit of death. and, And they're just overwhelmed. This is not a happy moment, right? This is a difficult moment, a difficult season, and they're in that place. And Isaiah is, he's just in this moment. And so what we find as he moves into this place is that this is the perspective that he's living in. And so what I want to do is I want to look at four things that we see in the life of Isaiah that ultimately, I believe, bring a, a, a perspective shift in his life. The first thing we see in verses 1 through 4 is that Isaiah experiences God. I mean, I say experience, like I, 
you've never, maybe I've never experienced this, but when you, but throughout Scripture, when people get into the presence of God, and I've, I've even heard stories of, of instances here on earth where people have this real interaction with God, that it's like all of their senses become heightened, right? They just, the things that they know, I mean, they really know, and the things that they feel, they really feel. And so Isaiah is here, and he's really experiencing the fullness of God, right? He says, Behold, I looked and I saw, right? God sitting on his throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphs, these angels, they just flew around in verse 3, crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Did you see that? He's holy. I'm going to tell you again. We've been singing this for eternity, but the song never gets old. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Let's just say it again. Holy, holy. Because they're experiencing this. What we find in this, if you were a good Hebrew, you would recognize repetition in that. There's holy, holy, holy. It's three times. There's repetition. Okay. In Hebrew, if something was repeated twice... It meant that it was something of the highest quality. It was the best of the best. And so someone came in and said, hey, what kind of donkey do you want? I said, I want a donkey donkey. All right? Repetition, right? That's pretty, pretty common in Hebrew. I want a donkey donkey. Right? In our culture, what kind of girl do you want to date? A hot one, hot one. Right? This is how we were back in the day. You know, don't lie. Right? I want a hot one, hot one. Okay. Right? So that thing was the best quality, the best of the best, the highest quality. And so, so here, he's sitting there and he hears and saying, listen. He's crying out, and the seraph is crying out, and Isaiah hears, holy, holy, and all he thinks, oh, the best of the best, and they add a third holy on, and he goes, oh, oh, because what it represented was something that was otherworldly, something that could not be grasped in human terms. He all of a sudden recognizes and experiences the holy, holy, holiness of God in its fullness, and he experiences experiences it with everything in his being, which leads to number two, which is verse five, which is Isaiah is undone. Isaiah is undone. I walked into the leper ward and I went, ah, right, just like that. That's what I, inside of me, in my, in, in, like visibly, I was like, okay. Inside, I was like, oh no, right, run away fast, run away, run away, right, the whole thing. And I'm sitting here, and so Isaiah's in this place, and he's looking, and he's experiencing, and he's having this whole thing, and he's undone in the moment. How many remember 1992? The dream team. Basketball in the Olympics. Remember the team? It was like it was, it was Michael Jordan. We'll just call him Air Jordan. That's what he's worth, right? Air Jordan, we got Magic Johnson. Remember, we got Clyde Drexler and passes prompt. He's still Clyde Drexler. Clyde the Glide, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've got Patrick Ewing over here. You got David Robinson. You got John Stockton. You got Scottie Pippen. He was always kind of second, but he's still a great player, right? And he had some college dude. I don't know who he was. Who cares, right? So, anyway, you've got the dream team. And can you imagine, just, just, for, just for the moment, imagine you're a part of, let's say, the Albanian basketball team. I mean, you know, they're terrible. Let's just be honest, right? Say so the Albanian basketball team, and they're out there dribbling around, right? And all of a sudden, Magic Johnson walks out. They're like, oh, my gosh. And then Michael Jordan, Air Jordan. And then you got Patrick. And all of a sudden, then Patrick Ewing comes out and they go like this, right? And it's like this whole dynamic going down. And all of a sudden, they're dribbling the basketball, and you just have this picture of their hand stopping and going, kind of walking away from it, going, I don't want to be classified as a basketball player in their presence. Why? Because when the dream team walked onto the court, all of a sudden, every single other basketball player felt insignificant, 
they felt small and felt incapable in the moment, right? In fact, they actually, imagine Johnson did interviews a year later, and he said it was really funny. He said, we'd come onto the court, and he said, and during, uh, like, timeouts, the team would come over, the other team, like Albania would come over with a pad of paper and a pen and say, hey, can you sign me an autograph for my son, right? I mean, it's just so funny, right? It's like, okay, you know, it's like, thanks, man, you're, you're my idol, right? It's like, okay, and runs off. It's this whole strange dynamic, right? And, and so they walk out into the court and they're undone at their awesomeness, awesomeness. But man, what if you add a third awesome to it? And then Jesus came onto the basketball court with them. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this, is, this is what happens. So Isaiah is having a, a holy, holy, holy moment. He is undone. And in the moment, he feels small. He feels insignificant. He feels incapable. He feels dirty. He feels sinful. And he goes, woe to me. Which means death to me. I, I'm a dead man walking. I am ruined. So just to give you an understanding in the Hebrew what that means, Hebrew means to make sure I get it right, it basically means this, Oh, doo-doo, I am a dead man. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's the moment, right? He goes, oh, right? He's just like, oh, no, I'm dead, right? He's just undone in the moment. Until. Everybody say Until. Say until. Good. Until number three, verse six and seven. Where God, listen, this is beautiful. God initiates connection. God initiates connection. God initiates movement. Says the seraph. Flew over to the altar, got the tongs, got a big old coal, brought it over, and touched Isaiah's lips. Remember, Isaiah just said, Woe to me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. Here's the thing. The seraph could only move if first ordered by God to move. Only in an act of obedience. And so... Isaiah is over here having his death perspective moment. God hears him, initiates the seraph to fly over. He does, and look what he does. He comes over. He doesn't, he doesn't come over and touch his feet. He doesn't come over and touch his hand. He doesn't come over and touch his eyes or his ears. He comes over and touches the very felt need of Isaiah. He recognizes of all the things that are most dirty about him, he recognizes, my mouth is unclean. I cannot believe the things that have come out of my mouth and I'm standing before a holy, holy, holy God otherworldly and I know what's come out of it. Oh, I'm unruined. I'm so dirty. I'm so bad. Oh, kill me, right? And God says, oh, I got you. Seraph, go over and do your thing. I have made you one with God now. I have made you, that's what atonement means, to be, to be made to be one with God, to be made whole, to be set free, right? To be healed in the moment. To be, to be set free from the thing that was holding you down. And so God comes over and initiates this connection. It's a, a, a profound moment of, of God reaching out and touching the very felt need in your life. And so what I would say is this in our life, when we're over here in our perspective, like in this perspective of death that everybody, all of us, listen, all of us live in a perspective of death of something in our life every day. And we're sitting there in the moment and God says, I see it. 
I'm going to initiate movement towards it, and I'm going to touch the very thing that's broken because God recognizes that. He always wants to move to the area of felt need. And what happens in verse 8, which is number 4, is this Isaiah's perspective shifts. Isaiah's perspective shifts. He has his Michael Orr perspective shift moment, and all of a sudden he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm awesome. I can play with Dream Team any day, right? I'm awesome, awesome, awesome. Why? Because I'm clothed in Jesus, right? That's where he is, clothed in God. God's come over and done this work. He's initiated this movement. God's come over. So what happens, you, you see this immediate, immediate impact of being drawn near to God. And so where, where Isaiah once felt distant and removed, he is now close enough to be able to hear God speaking. And in, in, in the story, it says that it says God was kind of having a personal conversation over here, and but he had God had moved Isaiah close to them, enabled him to actually overhear the conversation. And said, "Hey guys, I mean, who are we going to send?" And the next thing we see is not only can he hear God now, but he feels bold enough to speak, and he does this: "Here am I, here am I, here, here, God, send me, woo, woo, over here, right." You know what I'm getting at. Send me. Not only is he bold enough to speak, but he's bold enough to say to God, I will carry your words and I will bring salvation to the peoples. What a perspective shift. How many of you live every day of your life? Listen, if you dare, hear me, if you dare to call yourself a Christian, The question you have to ask yourself, do I live then every day recognizing that I have the innate reality and ability and calling every day of my life to go and to proclaim the Word of God boldly to every person that I meet? Because that's what Isaiah is picturing for us. When you have your perspective shift and you move out from death into a place of life over here, which is supposed to be your everyday reality, and you take your stand against the evil one, and after all said and done, your cleats are still in the ground, and you're standing firm, right? Who cares if the dream team comes running at you because you've got the holy, holy, holy God in you, empowered by his strength? Isaiah says, listen, when that moment comes, I was able to hear him, I was able to relate to him, and I was able to be sent out by him. Listen, if you're not living every day of your life, this is convicting for myself. If I'm not living every day of my life alongside of you, recognizing that in me is the automatic calling by Jesus to go and to bring life in the word of God, here I am, send me type moment, then I'm missing the reality and the perspective I'm called to live in. And so are you. We're being fed alive by the spirit of death, saying, oh, you can't do it. Your life is so hard. Everything is so difficult and nobody even loves you. And you're always forgotten. And no one's thinking about you and no one's fighting for you. My gosh, if if they knew how great you really were or God, God doesn't even like me and I'm just so dirty and all the sin in my life. And God says, no, I initiated movement. I initiated movement in your brokenness to set you free. Remember, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, Jesus came, God's only Son, sent into the world that all those who may believe in Him 
should not die but have everlasting life. So now wait for my promised Holy Spirit. And when my Spirit comes to you, all of you who are my followers, hey, you will have power. In fact, it's the incomparably great power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then I'm going to call you to go to all the nations and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. All I did in Isaiah is to share the gospel message with you. It's your reality for every single person who's a follower of Jesus. But we're living defined by this perspective over here with the spirit of death is hovering over you, saying you can't, you never will, and you don't even deserve it in the first place. And Jesus is saying over here, actually, you tell them to shut up and tell them you're clothed in me, and my power is in you. This is who you are. Father, we ask this morning that you would make this innate reality a real present reality in our lives. Father, our souls sing how we love you. Father, we want to know you. We want to know what you think. We want to know what you feel. We want to know how you view us. We want to know all the thoughts in you about us. But God, we also want to know your thoughts for all of your creation. Father, we praise you for the work that you've done. And God, we're asking this morning that God, you would speak to us and that God, you would minister to us. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do this in the time of ministry this morning. Ryan's going to lead us and worship. Uh, if you're new to Vintage, how we end our times is this. If you need to go, then you're more than welcome to go. Don't forget to sign up over here for the outreaches and the stuff we have coming up. Um, so you guys have a great week. If you'd like to stay, we have a time where we have ministry teams. They can go ahead and come forward, available to pray. We read last week from Ephesians 1, Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And I recognize that Paul spoke this because he knew they weren't awakened. He, he knew that they were walking in the spirit of death. And so what God wants to do in us this morning is the same thing he wanted to do in the church at Ephesus. He simply wants to enlighten us and awaken us. And so this morning, give yourself to him. Say, God, awaken this. Enlighten me, Jesus. I don't want to walk in the spirit of death. Many of us are walking in that and don't even know it. And God wants to set you free this morning. Let him do that. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you soon.